sometimes you come out of school and you think, does this actually do anything? Because you just don't know yet. And sometimes patients say, well, nothing changed or I don't even feel those needles or you think, oh, what am I missing here? This is a, an ancient medicine that can treat everything, but we can be a little bit willy-nilly with it because we don't understand it yet. I think one of the big things I learned from this patient as a teacher was full respect for what the acupuncture can facilitate. Don't underestimate its power. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. One of the problems with acupuncture is that often enough, we'll get quick and profound results. And so acupuncture gets a reputation for being kind of a magical cure. And that sets us up for some real troubles and failure because while at times it seems like magic, success with alleviating symptoms leads to desire for more success with alleviating symptoms. Where we run into problems is when we help people to feel better without actually helping to make them better, more resilient, more capable of inhabiting a balance that gives rise to robust well-being that comes from within rather than something that's being manipulated from the outside. There are certain molecules that are associated with good health and longevity, but you can't take these substances directly. You have to ingest their precursors because it is the body itself that metabolizes these substances into something that's useful. Likewise, the wisdom of East Asian medicine teaches us to attend to the root to treat the branch, but good gosh, we are so easily invited into the conventional thinking of fixing a problem even as we give lip service to our perspective on holism. Perhaps in your time learning and practicing, you've given your patients some advice on diet or exercise or some other facet of health that we have some opinions and ideas about. And I suspect more often than not, you found that your patients forgot or found it too difficult or in some other polite way basically said, yeah, thanks, not my jam. It's easy to give people solutions that work for us, but to find a solution that works for them, mm, that's another story. And you've experienced this for yourself as well. Someone well-meaningly suggests you do something for your health, and your first thought is, mind your own business, but we rarely say that out loud. In similar fashion, we have ideas about what might be a helpful therapeutic intervention with needles, herbs, and moxa, but of course, at the end of the day, it's the patient's body and being that has something to say about that. So it helps to practice in a way that you can have some in-the-moment feedback because often enough, we have a great idea that makes perfect sense and it's wrong. Being present enough in our practice, still enough to listen what the patient is asking for between the lines of their story, being attentive enough to watch our own mind grasp for a treatment method so as to still the anxiety in our own chest, having the capacity to use both the rational mind and nonverbal sensing. That is a practice in presence and perseverance. Because stepping out of the conventional thinking of, I'm going to fix this problem into a softer, inquisitive, 
What is asking for help here? It only comes through time and through practice. Sometimes treatments don't work out how we think they will. And sometimes we set off an adverse reaction that lets us know, oh yes, acupuncture can do something, but it was not the something that we or the patient was looking for. As H.L. Mencken said, for every complex problem, there is an answer that is clear, simple, and wrong. These geological conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Need to fill up the appointments created by late cancellations? Jane can help with that problem. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, listen for a special offer from Andrew Sturman on Diet as Medicine and the folks at Blue Poppy share some thoughts on the safety of herbal medicine. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit mayway.com to find the perfect plum flower brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore whenever you need a break. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies, and enjoy bits of Chinese culture. This month, we're focusing on the treatment of various skin concerns like itchy skin and stubborn acne. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our skin health formulas this month too. Just visit Meiwei.com. This season and every season, trust Meiwei for your health and wellness needs. And as always, thanks for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. Change is never easy. This is evidenced by the fact that the scales weighing the number of people on the green side of change versus the number of people on the old, hard-on-the-planet ways of doing things are still way out of balance. Our planet is suffering, but our profession has an easier way to shift the scales. The founders of AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles started with a great needle and then created our industry's first eco-friendly packaging and reusable accessories. They also give back to nature by planting trees. I encourage you to challenge yourself to make the change. Ride the wave of spring yang chi and make the switch by joining me and the multitude of colleagues who made the change. Now you can celebrate Earth Month in April with pride knowing that you're helping us to tip the scales of planetary health towards a greener, healthier, and healing planet. Visit www.acufastneedles.com to get on board. You've probably already heard me here on the podcast share about Jane, my favorite all-in-one practice management software that helps you to run your practice online and manage no-shows. The team at Jane understands that life happens, and sometimes that means your patients are unable to make their scheduled appointment. If that's the case, a quick and easy way to fill those unexpected gaps in your day is by utilizing Jane's time-saving waitlist management features. 
you can take advantage of automated SMS text or email notifications to notify eligible waitlisted patients that there's an opening so they can easily scoop up in available time. If you know you're ready to sign up, you can mention the show or use the code CHEOLOGICAL for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Visit jane.app to get started today. Today's conversation comes to you in two parts. The first half of this episode was an entry sent in as a submission to the audio journal that we ran back in 2021. It's about a most unexpected reaction to one of the most simple, safe, and often used treatments, the four gates. It's one of those stories that had me wanting to know more. So, part two, it's a conversation with Katrina Smith on the exploration that unfolded after a surprising reaction to gently needling the four gates. Let's get into this. Hello, my name is Karina Smith. I am a Chinese medicine practitioner based in Melbourne, Australia. I graduated from my college, Southern School of Natural Therapies in Melbourne at the end of 2019. So I've been practicing for the past two years, mostly from home with a home clinic that I have set up. And the last two years have been very interesting. So I've got to say, as I share my story today, that graduating at the end of 2019 was quite good timing with everything that we're moving through right now. In this audio journal today, I would love to share with you a story and a case of a time in my final year of school where I was treating a client and used the four gates acupuncture protocol. And if you're listening and you're a student of TCM or you're a practitioner, you'll know what I'm talking about. Four gates is where we use liver three and large intestine 14 on both feet and both hands as a kind of go-to acupuncture point combination for whenever there is stress or pain or chi stagnation. And when I was studying at school, it really felt like this was a go-to protocol and there wasn't really a lot of talk about contraindications or how this might go wrong or (laughs) take you into really unexpected places. But that's exactly what happened with me and my client. And I think it would be very valuable to share this with you today so that you can have a, a broader scope of the kinds of things that might happen when we're using this very moving combination of points. The client that I was seeing was uh, somebody that I already had a relationship with as a student of the yoga that I was teaching at the time. And at that time and at this current time, I am very interested in helping to support women and women's health and their gynecological situations through acupuncture and herbal medicine. And so this client came to me and said, I'm really interested in getting back in touch with my menstrual cycle. It's been 10 years since I've had a period because I've had a marina in my body, well, two different marinas in my body during that period of time because as a young person they had quite severe endometriosis and after their surgery they were highly encouraged, pressured even, to have a marina put in to stop that from redeveloping. So during that whole time, I know some women will bleed when they have a marina. This person didn't bleed. So it had been 10 years since they'd had a period. And 
they were in their early 30s and they really felt that it was time for them to reconnect with that natural rhythm of their body. So naturally, I said, yes, of course, I would love to support you. Give the clinic at school a call, come on in and let's see what we can do. A couple of other things that will be interesting for you to hear at this point was that this person didn't really like food. I remember them saying to me, this is going to sound strange, Karina, but I don't really like food. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I don't really like to eat. I'm, there's nothing that I'm real. I don't really have any cravings. Eating is a chore. So they were eating very similar things each day for breakfast and lunch and dinner, but it wasn't a pleasurable occasion. It wasn't something that they were starving hungry for. So I thought that was curious and I noted that down. Something else that came up along the way also, we did a couple of sessions at school, was that this person had been in quite an intense long-term relationship, which had ended when they came to see me, but there was quite a lot of unresolved emotion from that relationship and a lot of mental anguish that hadn't been resolved either. It had sort of just been internalised. And so this person made an appointment and they came to see me at the school clinic. Very exciting. I already knew off the bat that there'd been a history of quite severe blood stagnation because endometriosis is exactly that. There is blood stagnation in the lower jowl. And I also knew that there was probably significant blood deficiency because this person had not had a period. And also there was something interesting going on with the spleen because they didn't really want to nourish the body. There wasn't really a sense of craving food. There wasn't really a desire to eat and that eating was a chore. So I already knew that that relationship of the spleen receiving what we eat and then creating blood and chi and then that blood nourishing the uterus and nourishing the rest of the body was a little bit out of balance. So I knew that going in. So on the first session, this client came to the clinic and they were also a little bit nervous about needles. And I've got to say, <laughs> I really, really, really admire people that book for an acupuncture session knowing full well that they're, they're actually quite squeamish when it comes to needles, that they've got the courage and the bravery to step into that because they trust the person or they really want to see if this kind of medicine can help them. I kind of want to stop and give them a standing ovation because that's that's a really big deal. And that was the case for this client. I'm actually, I'm actually quite scared of needles, Karina. I was like, okay, well, let's keep it really simple and not do too many things and um, not do too much manipulation of the needles. So I felt their pulse and looked at their tongue and I could definitely see that there was, actually, I'm going to pause here because there's extra things that I want you to know about. So <laughs> park that for a second. So we haven't done any needling yet. Park that for a second. Some extra information that came before they arrived was that they'd gone and had their marina taken out. And almost instantaneously, when that marina had been taken out, this person experienced overwhelming waves of anxiety. They hadn't been there before. This huge sense of anxiety, chest pain, and just this constant sense of not feeling grounded, this constant sense of almost uh, like a dread. 
in their being. And that lasted for weeks. And it did take a little while before their period even showed up for the first time. And when that very first period tried to show up, they had a really severe headache for the days leading up to that, almost like a migraine headache. So there's stagnation from deficiency here. You know, the way that I tried to think about it and the way I tried to describe it to them was all of those reproductive organs in the pelvis have just been sitting there. And now we have started trying to get the engine room going again, wipe the dust off all of the machinery down there and get everything beginning to to get back online. So it's going to take a little bit of time. I talk the same way when people are coming off the -the over-the-counter pill oral contraceptive pill. Is there anything else I want to add into that? Mm. We'll add along, we'll add it along the way. So when they came for that first session, there had been headaches, there had been excessive anxiety and still a very low appetite period hadn't really returned yet. Not anything to write home about anyway, nothing, nothing of volume, nothing of There wasn't much consistency of blood showing up. So I felt the pulses and they were quite weak and that very much confirmed the deficiency that I'd already gleaned from the questions. So what did I do? I did the four gates, mostly because of the headache situation that had been explained to me. I did four gates, but I did the needling so so lightly that the pins were just, they had just penetrated the skin and they were basically hanging out of the body. There was no deep penetration. There was no manipulation of the needle. It was, it was just the tiniest of insertions. I also added yintang and I added spleen six because I thought it was really important to start helping the spleen, you know, get online as well and, and do its job of nourishing and starting to tonify the blood. And as the patient was lying there, I went off and I started to think about a herbal formula and I had really good support with my supervisor at the time. Part of what we were hoping to do was over a long period of time, just make sure that that regrowing of endometriosis was slowed with this opportunity of the marina being taken out and periods returning naturally. We just wanted to make sure that it didn't get to that level again where a laparoscopy was required and pain was severe. So we wanted to build blood and move blood at the same time. So we came up with a formula that had lots of blood nourishing herbs in it, but it also had some moving herbs. I feel like we were kind of leaning into Shui Fuju Yutang, but it wasn't uh, wasn't sort of strong moving. It was building and moving. I mean, all of the herbs in Shui Fuju Tang do that anyway. Um, and that was the formula that we created. When the patient got off the bed, this is the first session, when the patient got off the bed, they, they seemed quite alarmed, dopey, really out of it and quite alarmed. And they said, Karina, is it normal for my legs to feel like concrete? And I thought to myself, I don't know if anyone's ever said that straight off the table. My legs feel like concrete, like they were so heavy. I can't remember what I said in response to that. They also felt 
incredibly wiped out, like dangerously fatigued. They got home safely and I checked in with them the next day and they said, my legs still feel like concrete, especially um, especially in the middle, in the medial thigh area. I suppose that is the kind of the spleen channel, that medial thigh, kidney channel moving up toward the groins. But closer to the knee, it just felt like her legs were made of concrete. And if I remember correctly, it had sort of kicked off more of a headache as well. And I thought, well, that's not really, that's not really what my intention was. This is not exactly the desired outcome. They started taking the herbs. Those symptoms didn't get any better. The legs stayed feeling like concrete for some time, probably at least a week. And the sense of anxiety was just growing bigger and bigger and bigger. It might have been a week later or two weeks later, and they bravely came in for a second session. And I think that it was this session where the supervisor at the time and myself just gently began probing slightly into these unresolved emotions from the relationship, from the intimate relationship from the past which created quite a reaction in the nervous system. The patient began to shake almost violently. And we invited them to lay down and just try to kind of calm that sympathetic response down. Lots of breathing. And in that session, I do believe that we did some acupuncture, but it was very, very minimal. It might've been yin tang again. I don't think we did four gates. We did yin tang, spleen six, and maybe something close to the navel and let them rest. No changes were made to the formula. Checking in with the patient after that second session, the the symptoms began to get very peculiar and the patient was starting to get very alarmed and really needed me to help reassure them that it wasn't the acupuncture that was doing this to them, that that there was something that I could offer them to make it right again, to put it right again. And I started to realise that whatever was going on for them, I had no idea how to support at that current point in time with my skills and my education. This was not from a textbook. And When I tried to ask my supervisors, nobody had any advice for me. So this is not an exclusive um, list of things, but over the course of the next, I want to say, two months, this patient went through quite a series of interesting symptoms, signs and symptoms that had not been present before we did our first acupuncture session. After that second session, which I believe was the last time that we did any any needling, they started to feel like there was a vibration in their body. And it would be patchy. Sometimes it would feel like their whole body was vibrating. Sometimes it would feel like it was just a limb or there were places in their body that were dull. The anxiety was growing more and more each day. They would wake up and have to basically put one hand on their chest and one hand on their belly to try and calm themselves down before they eased into the day. There were some other interesting sensations where 
uh, at one point they felt like they had uh, an iceberg stuck in their chest where they had to go to sleep with a hot water bottle on their chest. At one point it felt like their body was disassociating into different kinds of parts. They would walk around and feel like they had no connection at all to their body and that they could only get a sense or an awareness of their head. On another day, there was only a sense of awareness of their eyeballs. And at this point, the patient is starting to feel pretty unsure of their mental stability. And I was receiving a lot of texts and a lot of calls for reassurance, like, hey, Karina, do you think the acupuncture did this? Is there anything that we can do to make me feel normal again? I think I'm going crazy. And I did my very, very best to try and stay calm and offer insightful ideas. But I could definitely sense that we we had kicked the hornet's nest. Something had happened from that first session and a healing crisis had begun, which I felt completely out of my depth in. As I tried to get support from different teachers at school, the response that I was getting, the majority response I was getting from people was that this person needs to go and seek some some counselling or some mental health support, a psychologist perhaps, because this this is a trauma response from their relationship that hasn't been healed, that there's deep trauma from that ex relationship and this is out of your scope. So you need to refer them on. And that just wasn't okay with me. I wasn't satisfied with that. I felt very, not responsible per se, but I felt involved. And it just didn't feel right for me to go, ah, sorry about that four-gate situation. I think you need to go and see a psychologist. That, That just did not sit right with me at all. Hello, everyone. Andrew Sturman here. I've been working with clients in Chinese medicine dietary therapy for over two decades in New York City. My focus is beautiful, simple, delicious, and health-supportive home cooking. Good meals can be inspired by the strategies of classic herbal formulas so that each meal is infused with medical intention from appetizer to dessert. This requires an understanding of the energetic properties of grains, vegetables, meats, fruits, and more, and knowing which foods are moistening, drying, building, clearing, warming or cooling, as well as their directionality. I've organized these teachings in my two-volume book series, Welcoming Food, where you can learn this theory, practice it in your own kitchen, and love doing so. See the positive reviews and incredible testimonials from practitioners and patients who've brought this material into their own kitchens. Welcoming Food Books 1 and 2 can easily be found online, and if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, where I'll be posting cooking tutorials, you can find me at Welcoming Food. Back to you, Michael. Thanks very much. So they they continue to stay on the herbs. No more needles were mentioned because I think we had done enough. And then after um, after a little bit of time, it was prob. I'm going to say it was probably two months since that first acupuncture treatment at school. It got to a point where I said to myself, "I'm going to have to do something about this," and I don't really know what I'm doing. I invited this client to come to my house, where I where I had a table set up in a treatment room to see if we could do some energetic work. I called one of my mentors beforehand, and she was amazing, and just gave me some really sound advice about 
a different approach, perhaps using more moxibustion rather than any needling, and uh, setting, setting a different kind of intention for the session. Along the way also, I had it had been shared with me by the client that there had been moments in the past where they had dissociated from their body. So we started to get to the point where we realized that for this patient, at times, their body didn't really feel like a safe place. And therefore, it didn't really feel like a place that they wanted to nourish, hence their lack of interest in food or their sort of lack of excitement with food. So what I sort of thought might be going on at this point with the strange, uh, the strange vibrations in the body, the sense of being separate body parts was that it was almost like the spirit wanted to leave the body. It was like, I'm out of here. This is not a safe place for me to be. <clears throat> so there was a real struggle going on between the more energetic aspect of the person and the physical aspect of the person that they were not, they were not on the same page. So I invited them to my place. Before they arrived, I sat down to meditate and ground myself and ask for some guidance, ask for some guidance and clarity on where to go with this session, which I received and was very grateful for. When they arrived, we went into the treatment room, they laid down on the table, and I said, we're not going to do any, we're not going to do any acupuncture, so you can just... Oh, put that to the side. This, that one less, one less layer of fear. One less thing you've got to be apprehensive about. We're not doing any needling. I used a sandalwood oil that I bought in India. Really good quality, beautiful sandalwood oil, because of its heavy grounding nature. And I very gently used the oil to anoint their yin tang, PC six on both sides liver three on both sides. I put a cup very lightly over Ren 8. To me, the idea of using the cup was a way of anchoring back to the sort of the primal energetic portal in the body, the very centre of the self. And then also the sensation of that cup lightly suctioning onto the navel could give the mind something to focus on that sensory awareness. And then I did several rounds of moxa at kidney one to try and calm and pull that anxious energy from the heart back down toward the feet. The warming sensation, the warming sensation of the feet when you do kidney one on people is often quite pleasurable and I get a, get a lot of feedback about people help finding that that helps them to relax. And once the moxibustion was finished, I gently came around to where the cup was on the navel. So this was some time, probably was a maybe a 30 or 40 minute treatment. We just went slow. And I slid the cup off and I placed my hands, left hand on the belly, right hand on the top, just gently over the navel. And with all of the heart chi I could muster and all of my strength of intention, I called through prayer, through silent prayer to this patient's spirit. And I invited them to come back into the body. I invited them to come and be in the body, that this is a safe place to return to. 
concentrated as hard as I could on that intention. I then invited the patient to replace my hands with theirs. I told them of the prayer that I had just said, and I invited them to call upon something similar for themselves so that it's, you know, they're calling their spirit back home. And that once they felt that they were satisfied with that, once they felt like it was complete, to take the hands off the body and let them rest by their side. And once that was completed and they felt ready to get up and they got off the table, they turned to me and they said, the vibrating has stopped. Oh, my God, I feel like I'm normal again. And inside I breathed a huge sigh of relief. <laughs> okay, we, we did something good here. <laughs> they reported back that that night they had the deepest, most peaceful sleep that they think they've ever had in their life. And the next day they had so much joy, they couldn't stop smiling and giggling. They were just on a total high. Now, that, that didn't mean that we had totally resolved everything. It, it, it went up and it went down after that, but that was definitely a big landmark moment. We kept communicating with each other. The, we decided to keep um, working on the herbal formula aspect of treatment. We didn't do any more body work for, for a little bit. We have done since, but we didn't for a little bit. And then their period started to return in a more regular way. They had been a bit of pain as they returned, but the use of the herbs, there were, there were many periods where the period just showed up. No pain, no headaches, a good amount of blood, a good colour of blood, no clots. And they were really happy with that. And I was really happy with that also. So this is still ongoing. We still have a really good relationship and we do have treatments every now and then, much less frequency, but we keep checking in about how things are going. Some of the takeaways from this for me in terms of reflecting, I think it's really, really important to note if there is extreme blood deficiency, <laughs> there's nothing to move. So you have to nourish before you try and move, even if the point prescription that you do is needles hanging out of the body, not even deeply inserted. I also think about what Anne Cecil Sturman writes about emotions and emotions being in the blood. You know, if you've, if you've ever looked at the work that she does with the low channels and the emotional releases that people get when you do particular kinds of bloodletting on the low channels, I think to myself, wow, this patient of mine, they hadn't had a period in 10 years. So whatever releasing happens during that time in the menstrual cycle, they, they'd not had that. So there might have been a lot of stuff that had no out, that had it was just sitting dormant and really needed a, a way to be cleared. And we kind of did that in a, a very strong, powerful way. So if there's no blood to move, nourishing the body needs to be the more important thing. And also just to be really respectful of how powerful acupuncture can be. 
And a lot of the time in student clinic, I would just be like, yeah, boop, 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 boop. There are the points, Mark, great. But they, they can be so strong. <laughs> People can be out of action. And we can create a healing crisis, which if handled well, might be exactly what's needed for someone to heal, but we can't abandon them. We can't just refer them on to a psychologist. We've got to be prepared for what happens because I learned so much from that and I'm still learning from that particular case because it's just there's just been so much in it for me to reflect upon. That big things are going to come up for people. And then other times people won't even feel the needles, but that doesn't mean that this isn't powerful medicine that we're working with. I think it's also really important to go back to the intention of what, 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 what is the main thing that this person needs? You know, is it that they have heat that needs to be cleared? Do they have blood that needs to be moved? Do they have blood that needs to be tonified? Are they more excess? Are they more deficient? And honing the intention and honing your choices in on what, what primary thing it is that they need in that session, even if you've got a long-term plan for them. In that session, what is it that you're doing? What is it that you aim to do? And if something tremendously extra happens, <laughs> oh, whilst it's really full on um, and easy to take it on board and go, oh, my gosh, I've broken somebody, it's there for you to learn from. And if you can take it on board and be brave in the same way that they were brave when they came to you and, and be with them and move forward with them, I think it's a powerful opportunity for both the client and the practitioner, especially if something like that happens um, very early in your career. Like I hadn't even finished school yet. And that was, yeah, blew me right out of the water. And that's my story. I hope that you found it interesting. I hope that it will be with you the next time you go, oh, yeah, I got this, four gates. Oh, hang on a second. Let me just take a beat before I put these needles in and then put them in. Thank you so much for listening to this story. I hope that it was helpful and I wish you very well wherever you are in your career as you move through these interesting times. Thanks so much. Karina Smith, welcome to Geological. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much. This is an absolute honour to come and be on this podcast. Well, the honour is always mine. I get to talk to incredible people doing interesting things and folks that are listening to this podcast right now have just listened to roughly a half hour of you talking about a case that went way, way off the rails compared to where you think it would go with something as simple as the four gates. Yes. And so I thought we'd have a little after party here and talk about that a bit. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, let's have an after party. I'm in. So I have to tell you, when I first saw the title, Treatment with four gates. I can't remember the exact title right now, but you know, like four gates in investigation. And I'm thinking, four gates. Oh my God, four gates. Is anybody even interested in four gates? Because everybody knows four gates and for good reason, too. 
because it packs a punch. It's powerful. It's useful. They're not difficult points to needle. You can get a lot of effect. You can use it in many places. So it's like, oh yeah, four gates. What else is there to know? Well, if you all just listen to the past half hour, you'll know that a lot can happen with four gates. So I'd love to, really what I want to know is, how is it that you like drew a laser beam bead on this patient and the things that were going on and all the things that kind of went sideways and all of the people that you reached out to for some help. Hey, help me with this case. This seems difficult. A lot of times you were advised, well, it's kind of out of our wheelhouse. Actually, not something we can treat. But you stuck to it. How did you learn to do that? Where does that come from? Uh, I suspect you didn't learn it in acupuncture school. That came from somewhere else. I'm not entirely sure where that did come from. But it was just felt like a real... It felt like I would fail this patient if I didn't walk alongside them to some extent through what we had kind of uncovered together. And at the same time, as I listen back to what I've recorded and the story that I've shared, yeah, there is definitely scope in there to go, hey, this is outside of my skill set. There, there definitely needs to be, if it's relevant, there definitely needs to be other people coming in to create a team environment to support somebody if they need something that you're not trained in doing. But that feeling of just palming somebody off, like that's what it felt like it would have been to me. This person came to me with such a deep sense of trust. They had a complete needle phobia. They were willing to put themselves in my hands. Doorways opened, gates, maybe. (laughs) The four (laughs) gates opened. Yes, they did. And things flooded through that I could never have anticipated. They could never have anticipated. And they were leaning on me to be able to guide the experience. And I just don't think that I would have ever felt okay with myself if I had done that and said, oh, everybody that I know at school is advising me that this is no longer, it's no longer appropriate for me to pursue treating this client because this is now psychosomatic or this is psycho-emotional. They need that kind of care. And it just kept, I mean, this person was contacting me Karina, do you think that the acupuncture could do this? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. It's such a great response, isn't it? Mm. Could the acupuncture do this? I don't know. Well, I didn't say that, Michael. In my mind, I was like, I don't know. And with my mouth, I was Mm. trying to be as cool, calm, and diplomatic as Mm -hmm. I could be because Mm -hmm. I I was in a place that I'd never been before. That's our daily work. Yeah. Being in a place we've never been before hanging out and navigating and hopefully charting the unknown. But there was definitely a feeling that if I kept going Mm. and I honored this person's trust, even though they were floundering, we would find a resolution together. There would be some outcome where we could not make this right or put her back together, but there was turbulence and we were in it together and I was committed to that. That was the feeling I had. Yeah, that's great. So often, the people who seek us out, they are in some kind of turbulence. And there's no great guides for walking through turbulence. I mean, I think to some degree, and again, you were advised that, oh, this is psychoemotive. You need to have her go see psychotherapeutic type professionals. Yeah, maybe. 
our work also does that. I mean, I'm not saying we're psychotherapists, nor do I say we should practice as psychotherapists. At the same time, there are aspects of the psychoemotive that show up in our clinic because all parts of our patients are welcome into our clinic. And so to some degree, we need to work with that. That's it. And we're looking at the whole person. We're not just pulling one aspect out and separating that. That's what makes this medicine so beautiful. It is the whole person and there are layers to that. And they did go and see a psychologist Mm -hmm. and the psychologist that they saw, they were very dissatisfied with the way that they were advised or the way that that session went. And so they, they actually came back to me and just went, I'm giving you the helm. I trust that you will help figure this out. I'm paraphrasing. I want you to be the person that helps me work through this. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah. On occasion, we get that. I've had patients, really complicated things. Sometimes we'll get four or five treatments in and I'm like, look, I don't want you wasting your time or your money. I don't know if I'm going to be able to help you. I'm very clear about that. It's not that I'm trying to get rid of them. I want to be clear and honest about what I think I'm capable of. This isn't every patient. These are exceptional patients. On occasion, you'll get that patient. I remember one in particular. She says, well, I get it that you don't know. Nobody else knows either. But of all the people that I've seen, this Chinese medicine thing, maybe it will find the solution. So if you don't mind, I want to come back next week. Because I was just going to say, you you said something earlier about skill set. This is outside of my skill set. Something could be out of our skill set. We don't have this skill yet. We don't know how to deal with it yet, but it's not outside of Chinese medicine. Yeah. And when you are still finishing school, wherever you're learning your acupuncture, I said this to somebody the other day, when you're finishing school, this was my experience anyway, you don't even really know. And I'm, I've only been out of, out of school a couple of years, so it's very early days currently while we're recording But you don't really know how the medicine works yet because up until that point, it's textbook. Mm -hmm. And when you said earlier, oh, four gates, who's interested in four gates? That's the thing that we all lean into. Oh, four gates, boring but reliable. These are the reasons we use it. Therefore, throw it around willy-nilly. Yeah, four gates, great. This is something that how could this go sideways? Mm -hmm. Because every time you're doing a written exam or every time you've got a clinic, uh, you've got a client in the clinic, Yep, this and that, four gates. Yeah, you can do four gates. Like it's just, it's given prescriptively with such confidence that it's fine for everybody. One size fits all. There are instances where it could be way too powerful. And even though I say that, I don't think it was too powerful for the patient that I was seeing because in fact, where we ended up going and how we came out of the woods together was extraordinary. And so- I don't think I'd change anything about the way I approached it, Mm. but it was that leaning into discomfort and going, I don't have enough experience yet to know what to do here, but if I don't work my way through this, how do I get that experience for the future? Exactly. I think it's really one of the joys of doing the work that we do. I mean, we really get to go on these explorations. It's also one of the biggest difficulties of the work that we do because... I don't know about you, I like feeling competent, I like feeling helpful, I like feeling 
a sense of capability. I like it when my patients get better. I get a little nervous when they don't. And that's, of course, those are all grist for the mill for being able to create some kind of a calm, steady presence in our clinic, which I think is, is partly what is so helpful for patients. Maybe it's not what we know. I mean, part of it's what we know. Part of it is who we are and how we are mm. so that they can feel safe and maybe unwind parts of themselves that they didn't even know they had. And when you said before with the patient that you mentioned that said, hey, no one else knows what they're doing either, but I want to work with you. I think that there's a sense of trust that is developed with really open honesty. Mm. When you're really honest about something like, hey, we've tried a few things. We've not really had the outcome that I desired yet. I'm not quite sure where we're going and I'm being totally honest with you. I've got some ideas, but I can't give you an exact landmark of where this is headed. There is something about that that is... um, that does develop trust because it's very sincere mm-hmm. and it shows that there's a, a willingness to lean in versus someone that's really confident. They've got their protocol that they do for this, 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 and this, and there's not really that scope to actually be present to what's in front of them. It's going, ah, oh, yeah, I know what to do with this. I use this point and this point and this point and this formula. Done. Next. Does that make sense? Yes. And often... The protocols or the, I'm just going to call it the everyday acupuncture that we do, it's often good enough for many people. It's those edge cases where we really have to dig in. Something else that really impressed itself upon me from this experience as well was the power of intention. Mm. That You could have a really great outcome with a very, very powerful intention and perhaps never use a needle at all. So tell me more about intention. You know, I listened to you. It sounds like you were conjuring something up in listening in listening to the first part of this podcast. I hear people talk about intention all the time. Mm. And I've talked with other guests about this because there, there was a point where I thought, oh, yeah, intention. I, I think I kind of understand that. Actually, I didn't. But I would nod my head because I felt like I was supposed to. Oh, yeah, intention. Right. And it's like, well. What the fuck is intention? I mean, seriously. <laughs> Maybe it's just getting yeah. old and I'm starting to lose my mind or something. But I come around to things sometimes and I realize I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I'm not sure what the other person's talking about. I mean, we're speaking the same mm. language. We're speaking English. But it's very easy to misunderstand somebody when, when you think you understand, but you actually don't. Mm-hmm. And so that's a long prelude to... I don't really understand intention. Okay. And I don't understand how it works. And I have this concern about separating intention from my wishful thinking. Mm. It's like I want my patients to get better. Mm -hmm. So I'm drawing an intention to help my patient get better, but does that get in the way? Or does that not get in the way? Or does that open doors? Yeah. Because I can think about some ways it's gotten in the way for me, but I'm going to come around to that later. I want to hear from you about how that works for you, because maybe I can learn something about this. Sure. Well, this is my relationship to intention. When I'm treating somebody, 
I guess it's a way for me to make sure that I'm really, really present with what I'm doing so that I'm not being absent-minded when I'm putting the needles in. You know, you have had some extraordinary guests before that I've listened to that have talked a lot about intention and that's helped me to think about what do I mean when I say intention for myself as well. So I appreciate what you've just said. I guess it's to make sure that I am 100% there with what I'm doing and maybe there is a global intention that might be I want this person to get well, but the intention is um, a little bit more particular or specific when I'm doing particular needles. So I might have a needle in my hand and be ready to needle spleen six, for example. Mm. I will say to myself as I'm doing it, I am, we are nourishing the blood as I put it in so that as I am using the action of my body to insert the needle into this person's body, that there's something that kind of um, cements the purpose. What's the purpose of me putting this needle in? Because I could be really distracted and thinking about what I'm going to do tonight, what I'm going to cook for dinner, and I could just go, oh, yeah, here are my points, four gates, boop, 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 <laughs> do 20, boop, 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 and chuck them in, but I'm not really there. Yeah. So I guess it's about me making sure that I am really clear on why I'm doing what I'm doing. And as I'm doing it, I'll remind myself. So it gives it a little bit more potency for me. I love that. Being clear with yourself on what you're doing and why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. Which I think, I mean, for me, I think about having a diagnosis. I think of it more as a hypothesis these days than a diagnosis. I'm testing out an idea. And I have found that the clearer I can be, then the more precise I am with what points I choose to use. There's that thing that we learn, and I think we all learned in school, some very bad habits. Ooh, I'm being all judgmental here. But I think we learned some bad habits. We're going to do this for the main part of our diagnosis, but we're going to cover our bases with this, 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 and this. I think it dilutes things. And as I hear you talk about using your intention, spleen six, all right, spleen six because we're nourishing blood. We're nourishing blood because the other things that you see, I can see how that would help keep you centered, focused, present, so that if if something flits through your mind, you go, well, what about this point over here? And you go, yep, no, that doesn't fit. Mm. Nice idea, but off the mark. Or maybe, oh, great idea. I hadn't thought of that. Mm -hmm. And it's on the mark because it fits like this. So I like that. I myself, when I'm tonifying or dispersing a channel, I'll say things to myself like you do. It's like, okay, I'm doing the water point on the water channel because I want to bring down the fire. Mm. That sounds like intention to me. Yeah. And I say that to keep myself on track so that I know what I'm doing. Mm. So we've both just said the same thing about how we keep ourselves present. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And it helps me clarify what I'm doing as I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And with this particular case, intention was really important because when push came to shove and I was like, right, I've kind of got one chance to see if I can help calm down this storm of activity that's going on in this person's body. I mean, the symptoms that were going on were wild. Like there was a week where this person didn't feel like they had a a body, that they were only a head. And then the next week they felt like they were only eyeballs. Like there was so much 
disconnect mm. going on that made them feel like they were going crazy and they didn't want to talk to anybody about it because of how they knew it sounded. Yes. And so when I invited this person to my home to see if I could quote unquote put things right, knowing that I wasn't going to be doing any needling, I thought, what am I actually going to do here? What can I do? We can't just sit and have a cup of tea and talk it out. I've got to bring in some big guns that I don't even know what those big guns are yet. So it felt to me, and you know, this is just going to sound however it sounds. You'll hear it however you hear it. It felt to me like I was calling upon something divine, something so much bigger than myself to help move through me to cool and soothe and encourage this person's kind of physical body and etheric bodies to make up <laughs> and have a truce and come back together because that's what it felt like to me that there'd been this, the spirit didn't want to be in the body. And so it was hightailing it out of there and the body was like, whoa, I'm so untethered, I'm so disconnected, it's like I'm stuck between dimensions or something. So for me, intention was probably the tool that I was using plus some essential oils and the moxa and mm -hmm. a prayer. But that was the point where I was in my most uncharted territory. Two basic misconceptions stand in the way of people feeling comfortable using Chinese herbal medicine, even as they were feeling more positive about acupuncture. They are concerned about safety as herbal medicine is an unregulated industry and feel herbs are not effective to treat most conditions. Blue Poppy is committed to meeting all FDA safety regulations. All of their herbal products contain minimal or no filler to maximize potency and efficiency. Their granules are carefully manufactured in GMP certified facilities and every batch is tested multiple times for pesticides, heavy metals, and microbial content at the manufacturer and by SGS Laboratory, a Swiss certification and inspection company. For over 20 years, Blue Poppy has made quality and safety manufacturing standards their biggest priority, resulting in exceptionally effective herbal formulas. Their years of experience provide you with the best possible herbs so your patients have the best possible outcomes. With free shipping and free dropship service on orders over $50, Blue Poppy should be your favorite place to shop for herbs. Use the code CHI2024 to receive 10% off Blue Poppy products on your next order. Yes, and I love that. And, and I so appreciate your courage really to say that kind of thing in public <laughs> right thank you yeah it's delicate matter to share the difficulties that we face as practitioners we love to share the stories of look at this brilliant thing it's much harder to share the stories of yeah we were lost for a few days or months now i recently had someone ask me another acupuncturist you know how sometimes You'll hear a question. It's the same question you've heard all the time. For example, how are you today? And then there's, how are you today? <laughs> it's a different question. There is that question of, what does acupuncture do? Mm. Now we're asking the question, what does acupuncture do? Especially if you're not using a needle. What are we doing? with acupuncture. 
I mean, we have some very pat answers. We're moving the chi, we're balancing the, the meridians, blah, blah, blah. We have all these pat answers. Mm. What is it doing? Because you did something without needles. There are people that use tashing needles, get dramatic results. I've been playing with the tashing lately. I've been reinvestigating it. There are times a tashing treatment is more powerful than a treatment with needles. There's times I, I put a needle in someone, it's like, that's a crude tool. <laughs> it's weird. Do you think it might be the intention that makes the difference or not necessarily? I don't know. Mm, that's the perfect answer. I really don't know. I don't know if it's tension. I don't know if it's presence. I don't know if it's being just quiet enough to put my hand on someone and something in them says something. And I go, oh, mm. wait a minute. I think there's something going on with their Chong channel. Mm. That's why all that energy is rushing up. Let's try to bring that down. I didn't find it in the pulse. I didn't find it in the other place. You know, sometimes it just comes through touch. So I would say that at this stage, there's probably more that I don't know than know. Mm -hmm. Do you find, though, that that aspect of the not knowing is what keeps you intrigued and willing to pursue? this pathway because it's never boring, right? Oh, it's never boring. No. I've got a teacher who says when he hears acupuncturists say that they're bored with their work, it's like, well, you're, <laughs> then you're not really doing the work. Because <laughs> mm. it, it is never boring. So there's another guest that I've had on the show, Brenda Hood. And she likes to say how acupuncture is non-rational. It's not rational. Now, there's all kinds of rational aspects to it, but there's also the part that's unknown, not knowable by reason. And I don't think there's any way to take that out of the equation. Mm -hmm. For me, because I like using my head, I'm looking for a balance of the stuff I know and an invitation to what I don't know. And you just used a, a phrase a moment ago that I not heard, but I love it that those two parts can have a truth. I'd like to know from you, I mean, I just used a phrase mm. as if I knew what it meant. I'm not sure what it means other than it seems to fit. Two different pieces that come together that speak very different languages have a truth. And that can sometimes help guide us in our work. Yeah. Well, I love that you heard truth. The word that I said was truce. Truce. I was thinking about a division, the dense physical body and the more etheric air body. It's like they'd had a spat. Maybe I caused it with the four gates. I don't know, but they had a, there was a rift. <laughs> there was a rift. And they were both really unhappy and wanted, one was bailing and the other one couldn't bail because they're on this plane, making it extremely uncomfortable for the aspect of self that is the personality of this patient going, what is happening? I'm just eyeballs. I've gone crazy. Help put me back together because I'm not okay. And the first thing that they said when they came off the table after I did my acupuncture-less acupuncture session, my needle-less acupuncture session was the vibrating has stopped. Mm. And I went, oh, thank God. <laughs> I don't know where else I'm going to pull some big move here, 
This was me digging in and calling in for whatever help is out there that I don't even know about to help these aspects have a truce. Yes. It's funny how I heard it as truth, and we can come back to that in a minute. The different parts having a truce. Yeah. We often talk about the body. It's so funny. We live in this modern age, and yet with Chinese medicine, we talk about the emperor and the ministers and blah, blah, blah. Of course, in real life, we want to take those people down and burn them, right? <laughs> we, we don't think that way in modern life, but we think that way in our medicine. And I mean, that's fine. They're all metaphors anyway. Really, when you think about it, you've got different aspects of the physiology and psychology for that matter. And they've all got their own thing going on and they've all got conflict with each other. It's like a family mm -hmm. when you come right down to it. Yes. So, yes, the ministry of water is pissed off at the ministry of grains. And so you ain't getting none, <laughs> right? Yeah. Your grains are going to dry up until you, know, so you apologize to me for whatever you said the other night. <laughs> yeah. People are like that. Parts of our, why wouldn't our physiology also be like that in a way? We've got these warring states inside. It's kind of like autoimmune, right? There's a war going on in somebody. That's right. Yes, it's a great example. So, people with autoimmunity could use a bit of a truce. Yeah. And then I guess it's about exploring well, where's this, where is this war even coming from? Mm -hmm. How did this all get started? How can we get back to the beginning of this and just cool it down and soothe this down and let everybody say what they need to say so we can create a nice, harmonious house together again? <laughs> So have a truce to maybe have a truth. Yay. Nice. Good circling back there. I like it. Well, you know, language is fun. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, for me, when I hear something and it just rings deeply in me, it's like, oh, there's something there. I may not know what it is. I usually don't when I first hear it. But I can feel the something that's in it. Lucky for me, I heard you say, have a truth. Mm. I'm sure that's something that's going to pop up in my clinic, no doubt. Hey, I heard something. Do you know who Joseph Campbell is or was? Yes. Of course. Yes. So I rewatched Power of Myth a couple months ago. And one of the things that he said, he said, I think Bill Moyers asked him, well, where does mythology come from? And he says, oh, mythology, it comes from our organs that are in conflict with each other. Ooh. I like that. And the first time I heard that back in the 80s, I, you know, I had no, you know, it's like, well, I didn't even hear it. But as a Chinese medicine practitioner, I heard that and I went, oh, that's right. The organs that are in conflict with each other. We talk about harmony. We talk about balance. But, you know, the agenda of the spleen is different than the agenda of the liver and the gallbladder. That drunken carouser <laughs> has a whole different agenda than, say, the heart. Mm -hmm. But they've all got to live together. And help each other. Unless they get taken out. And help each other. Yeah. You know, there needs to be a sense of collaboration. Among warring factions. Among warring factions, yeah. We can learn a lot from that. Mm. Wow. Yeah, have a truce. So that's what it felt like to me. I was facilitating a truce. But in the meantime, it felt like it felt incredibly important for these gates to be open mm. so that some really deep 
archives of things that hadn't been processed, that hadn't come up to the surface, were able to. And they came up in a pretty violent, intense way. I mean, healing is never smooth or pleasant. It's always got that turbulence. Sometimes it's smooth. Is it? Sometimes, but not always. Yeah. We like it when it's smooth. We see it unfold smoothly sometimes in our clinic, and, and those are really great days. That happens. That is great. This is a little more crunchy than smooth, I think. This was definitely more turbulent and crunchy. Yeah. It was textural, for sure. Like the oxygen masks come out of the top of the airplane type. Oh, yeah. 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 But it had to be that way, I think. Sometimes. I mean, it just it was what it was. Mm -hmm. This is how it came out. This is how it came up. And... I think that when you asked me that first question, why, where did you get that sense to not mm. bail? Where did you get that sense to want to stay and be with this on the journey? I think it was that, knowing that this really deep, unprocessed stuff had come up, which brings with it intense vulnerability and fear and unknowing. I was like, I can't, I can't walk away from that. You could, you could walk away, but you didn't. I can't. You can't. I didn't. Right. It felt irresponsible for me to do that. And look, hey, somebody else might have done it differently, and that's completely fine. Personally, for me, it felt like a duty of care. Mm -hmm. This sounds to me like one of those patients. You know, we talk about our patients being our teachers, right? We learn the medicine from our patients in our clinic. 100%. And I think that there are a handful, at least in my life, I've had a handful of patients that, I mean, deep teachers, usually will learn something and that's helpful. But there's a few patients who really take us on a journey. This patient sounded like a major patient teacher type person for you, Mm -hmm. put you in touch with some things maybe tied together some aspects of how mind and spirit and body work together. Yeah, a really important teacher. And it helped me respect the acupuncture process even more to not think, I mean, sometimes you come out of school and you think, does this actually do anything? Because you just don't know yet. And sometimes patients say, well, nothing changed or I don't even feel those needles or you think, oh, what am I missing here? This is an ancient medicine that can treat everything, but we can be a little bit willy-nilly with it because we don't understand it yet. I think one of the big things I learned from this patient as a teacher was full respect Mm. for what the acupuncture can facilitate. Don't underestimate its power. Yeah. We often do ask that question. Our patients are often asking that question because they've got a Western mind and they're expecting Western-style results, in a sense. Does this do anything? And I think when we're asking that question and our patients are asking that question, does it do anything? Is it going to make me better? Am I going to sleep better? Is it going to solve my problem? Sometimes we do a treatment and things happen like what happened to you. I've done treatments. I've made my patients worse. I've made them markedly, significantly worse. Does acupuncture do anything? Yeah, you can screw people up. (laughs) You can. Now, I know in school we're taught that it's harmonious and balancing. You can't really hurt people. 
I don't believe that anymore. I think we can set things in motion that could be harmful if we don't see that process through. There's lots of ways that we can mess people up. Even just thinking about overtreating somebody. Talk to me about overtreatment. Overtreating. Mm. Well, a treatment of my own as a patient comes to mind. So I'm sure this resonates with the listeners that when I was finishing my last year, <laughs> my metaphor for that was that I was like a broken plane, missing a wing, just trying to land the plane with as least casualty as possible. Like just get the plane down and we'll mend it later. <sighs> Try not to hurt anybody else. Yes. And I remember sort of dragging myself to student clinic to get some nourishment. And one of my beloved colleagues was treating me and with all their enthusiasm and with all of their shen and their vigor, they gave me just a massive treatment that I, I had like that scene in The NeverEnding Story where the Empress has got that one little grain of sand at the end. Anyway, <laughs> if you're listening and you know that reference, I felt like that's all I had, this tiny bit of chi. That's all I got. That's it. It was just way too much. And I got off the table. There was cupping and needles. The cups were on for a long time. The needles were in for a long time. And I got off the table and I was freezing, cold as ice. Mm. I couldn't, I didn't even have the strength to talk. I managed to get myself home. I ran a hot bath. It was the middle of the afternoon. And then I think I just put myself to bed. I was wiped out. Yeah. That was me being overtreated. And I think it's easy to do that because when we don't know what we're doing, we often do too much, in my experience. Yes. Oh, my God. Which is what you said before, right? I've got to cover my bases. So I'll just go, I'll put all these extra things in just so I've covered my bases. It doesn't. It never works. (laughs) At this point, whenever I think I'm going to do this to cover my bases, it means I've lost the scent of the trail. Mm -hmm. Whenever that thought goes through my mind now, the next thought is stop. Yeah. You don't know what you're doing. Are we even looking at excess or deficiency? Well, Mr. Max, are we looking at excess or deficiency here? Can you even go back to the most fundamental basic? And I find that really helpful. Is this even excess or deficiency? Do you even know what the hell you're looking at? I do. I do talk to myself that way because sometimes I do need a good talking to like that. Yeah. Whenever I think I'm going to cover my bases, I know I need a good talking to. You had an amazing practitioner on recently who spoke so beautifully about acupuncture treatments that might only use two needles. And to me, that's the voice of a really experienced practitioner. It's like anything, any kind of spiritual practice or modality. The more experience you get, the more simple and elegant your approach, I think. Whereas Perhaps in the beginning, you think you've got to lay it on thick and do so much extra to, quote unquote, cover your bases. But mm-hmm. the way that she spoke about just using two needles, I thought, oh, that's beautiful. The body would clearly know from that with intention yes, what it is that you are, are facilitating. What is it that you're trying to help correct or harmonize or move rather than so much that the body goes, um, what are we doing? What are you trying to do? You lost me at, you lost me at 15 needles. Mm-hmm. What's happening here? Mm-hmm. Now I'm confused. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And yes, it does help clarify my ever-growing sense of what intention is about. That when we're clear with what we're doing, 
we don't need to do a lot. Yeah. And I'm a bit introverted. I don't like big noisy parties because it scatters my attention. A small conversation with one or two people, that's really helpful. I can get a lot out of that. But a big noisy party, that's just not fun. And I get really tired Mm. thinking a lot of acupuncture needles is like a big noisy party. And maybe that's good for some people. I've got friends that are extroverts and they get energy from a situation like that. It's really helpful for them. They're very, very stagnant and they need a lot of stimulation to feel a sense of ease. So maybe there is a place for that. But yeah, knowing what it is you want to do and then saying it clearly and directly. I mean, we're back in a sense, right? We're just talking about the organs kind of having a disagreement or different parts of the human being that we're working with being in disagreement. They need a truce. They don't need a crowd screaming at them. They need like a facilitator who can say, you and you, let's come to a truce. Right. So simple acupuncture points could be a mediator, Mm. a mediating a conflict. Mm. I'd love that image of acupuncture. Yeah. We're mediating conflict. And I'm also with you. I'm I'm no good in big, noisy, loud party situations. I also get really tired. I'm much better on the one-on-one, focused, beautiful, intent (laughs) gatherings of small. Yes. Well, this is why we're acupuncturists and not activists. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Nice. (laughs) That's a good line. (laughs) This is where the introverts are at. This is where the introverts are at. Now, we were speaking a little bit before rolling tape. It sounds like you do some introvert activity, like introverted yoga. Yeah. Some very quiet yin-type yoga. Yes, yin being the key word. Yin, uh, I've been teaching yin yoga for quite a number of years now. And you know what? When I was talking about the broken plane and the wing that's blown off miles back, Mm. I do think that yin yoga kind of saved my chi Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it, for me at that time, and even now, it was just this antidote to a a very yang-paced world where everything is expected of you and there's so much production required of you to have meaning or to explain yourself. Yin was this sort of quiet rehabilitation and I loved it. Loved it. And then it also, it's got lovely intersection with all of the meridian pathways in the body. So for me, it was just this beautiful melding of systems that are interrelated. So yeah, they're very happy. They're very happy together, I think, in yoga and Chinese medicine. They're different, but they get along really well. Mm-hmm. How are they different? I think this is me personally, and I have written some articles about this. I think that they're a little bit different in the sense that acupuncture or Chinese medicine has the tools and the scope to mediate, I'm going to use that word again, mediate more of the aspects of self in a treatment context, whereas yin yoga, yin yoga I think is dealing a little bit more with the chi and the fluids and the shen of the body. Ah, okay. Because of the, I mean, if you're just talking about interventions, a a practitioner's got needles and they've got herbs and they've got gua sha and moxa and they've got a bigger toolkit 
whereas a, a yin yogi is using their own body to stretch and lengthen tissue and then release it, which is moving chi, which moves the fluid across the fascia in the body, and then it's being rehydrated. So it's almost like a little subsector of what Chinese medicine can do in the body. And the reason that I wrote these articles was because I run yin yoga trainings and I wanted to sort of give teachers permission to not feel that if they learn a little bit about Chinese medicine that they then have to enter their next yin yoga class and get up and spout a lot of Chinese medicine information like a little workshop mm. because undoubtedly you'll realize that you've just scratched the top of an iceberg and you're not entirely sure what it is that you're talking about. And it's so intellectual and cerebral that all these people that are in the room that might just want to drop in and go down into that quiet space now in their heads thinking, Whoa, well, if, oh, if I come away from this class and my lower back is aching, does that mean something's wrong with my kidneys? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so easy to stir the mind. Isn't it? Mm. And that simplicity that we talked about before, I think, there's really lovely, elegant ways that you can create a score or a framework that's Chinese medicine-y in a yin yoga class, but you don't have to spell it out. Right. You might be really inspired by one, one element or you might be really inspired by a concept. I work a lot more with concepts than giving it all away or scripting it per se. And then you might have all these different things that you're working with that are your intention but you barely have to say any of it. So you're holding this space and you've got this intention that you're bringing to the room, but it doesn't necessarily need to be verbalized. Oh, you know, I listen to you say that. The image that comes up for me is, oh, the person doing the yin yoga or your patient for that matter. All of a sudden, there is space for them just to be as they are. Yes. Just like that. You just said that beautifully. I'm just repeating this back as I'm trying to understand what I think I just heard. So I love the idea of yin yoga or acupuncture. We're talking about the same thing in a way as an invitation. Mm. Right? We're talking about getting these warring parties together. We're bringing an invitation. And as we move through our lives and our jobs and our relationships, having those precious places where there is space for us to just be are very rare. Very rare. Yeah. Sometimes we cut ourselves short of having that opportunity, but if it's a practitioner or if it's a yoga teacher that understands how important that is, then the respect that's there for healthy silence that doesn't have to be filled with explanation or information or clouding the mind and stirring the mind that's actually a really beautiful opportunity for healing, I think, the space. Antidote for our modern times. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not sure what it's like where you are, but here in Melbourne, well, yin yoga classes just exploded because I think people understood that they just can't sustain their busy lifestyles without some kind of way of getting respite or recovering or tonifying their yin without guilt or all those other weird stories that we make up in our mind about. Mm -hmm. Not doing something. Yeah, less doing, just being. Yeah. yeah. 
Lovely. Now, you, in addition to writing blog posts and stuff or articles, it sounds like you've also got a bit of a podcast. Yes, we do have a podcast. Thank you so much for mentioning that. It's the Dr. Karina Smith podcast. Nice and simple. Give it a simple name. And my amazing brother, who is my my best pal, my producer, my business mentor, business partner, we have a blast. So honestly, it was really an opportunity for me to um, expand on the written word and just riff on it verbally, which I'm very comfortable doing. I love that. But then also kind of like what you do, get some of the people that you might not ever see or meet or hear and showcase their incredible offering and have lovely long form conversation. So it's a bit of a blend. Yeah. Yeah. A blend of yin yoga and Chinese medicine. Love it. People and ideas. Yeah. Well, I think the geological crowd would probably find that to be helpful in the work they do and in the inquiries that they have. I love a little cross pollination. That's nice. A little cross pollination. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How long have you been doing your podcast now? Not too long. I mean, we had some pretty intense lockdowns in Melbourne and you know what they say, when there are lemons, make lemonade. So I just mm -hmm. got some equipment and took advantage of the empty clinic and went, right, I'm going to record some episodes. Let's uh, take advantage of the space. Exactly. Again, using that word, load a few up, get ready. And then, yeah, so not long. We're just about finished our first season. Terrific. And people can find this wherever they get their podcasts? Yeah, it's on all the usual places. Great. And I'm a little bit like you, you know, my, my mind is always ticking with interesting ideas or, or concepts or things to share. And I'm not sure if this has been your experience, but the more you start to feed that and allow the, the, the creative juices to flow, it's just like there's this massive wellspring of ideas that I have. Some will, some will manifest, some will just turn up in my meditations, I'm sure. Yes. Well, Stephen Pressfield talks about if you give attention, space, and time to the muse, the muse will come and visit more often. Oh, that's great. And if you don't give time, space, and attention to the muse, she will go somewhere else to whisper her brilliance. Ooh. So if you're getting it, write it down. <laughs> follow up on it, mm -hmm. do something with it, and then more will come your way. I think it's really true. And we see this in clinic too. The more we attend to our patients in particular ways that we might be learning through a new method or a new class or whatever, the more we start to see mm -hmm. something that we hadn't seen before. It's just like shows up. It's clear as day. Yeah, those synchronicities are remarkable. They are remarkable, and I think they let us know that we're on the path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a confirmation, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's a confirmation. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, now, so you've just done this fertility seminar, for example. I've just done a fertility seminar. And then all of a sudden, a selection of your current patients tell you that they're on a fertility journey. Like, okay, thank you for the confirmation. You're on track. Yeah. Away you go. Which I suspect in some ways you as a student and beginning practitioner, you were using that and navigating that with your patient. 
it's such early days, you know, you, it's a windy path. So yeah, you are just following leads. Yeah. You get a hot lead and you follow it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had a particularly hot lead in this case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I suppose, you know, circling back to the the case is the highlight of what, what we've been talking about today. I guess I just wanted my real intention for sharing the story was essentially four gates is powerful. It can be commonly used, but it can also take you to unexpected places. So just, yeah, mad respect, mad respect for the four gates. Great. I think that's a terrific place to put a pin in it for today. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you so much for joining me today for this conversation. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Really. Thank you. All right. Keep up the good work and y'all go listen to the podcast. It's true that our patients are our teachers and that clinical experience seasons us in surprising and unexpected ways. It takes some courage and fortitude to look into what is not working, and often enough, we're on our own when we engage in this kind of an investigation. But with perseverance and the willingness to change our thinking or ideas, we sometimes are rewarded with a new perspective on medicine that allows us to help others, and better yet, we get a little more friendly with uncertainty. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, If you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.